Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. I am back from some seriously sore ribs, and I want to thank Jorna Taylor, who has always filled in excellent. She's a fabulous host. Awesome, awesome. And Jorna is, of course, with us this week. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Call, call. Oh, yes. Oh, I guess maybe we'll have to at least mention a little bit about our friend Jerry Bader that you are <laughs> seriously referencing there. Hello, Jerry Bader. Um, and of course, as always, Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action. Good Robert. Good morning, everyone. So we have a number of things we want to talk about. We're going to, including talking about our governor, who's back in the news. Uh, we want to talk about him uh, now saying he will support Donald Trump. We're going to talk about what he was out and about the state uh, this week, talking about related to jobs and uh, uh, food share program. Uh, talk a little bit more about our economy um, and people's perceptions of it. Robert's going to give us an update on the Humana Aetna merger that we have been talking about on the show. And of course, as always, Jorna Taylor will have a Paul Ryan watch, which we love. So first um, panel, I want to get your thoughts and responses to the news that came out yesterday. So Wednesday, we record Thursday mornings um, that Governor Walker will definitely support Donald Trump if he is the Republican nominee. So all these massive concerns, the, you know, the, the, oh my God, Donald Trump, not Trump, but yet this guy, he'll support him. Jorna, I know um, you're so a watcher. I kind of feel like we should have a um, televised podcast portion at some point so that you can all see my shocked face looking <laughs> the same as my normal face. Of course, Scott Walker is going to support Donald Trump. Now, he has not gone so far as to say he endorses Donald Trump. His endorsement has stuck so far with um, Ted Cruz. Yeah, God. that's a solid guy to I, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. To. But But let's be very clear what Walker is doing here. One, he's seeing writing on the wall. And two, he is positioning himself the best that he possibly can to be picked as a VP nominee. They just recently hired Rick Wiley, who ran Scott Walker's presidential campaign. Trump recently hired him. You know, and Walker is running around the state saying, yeah, of course, you know, should I basically be here? I would totally run for governor in 2018 and I I'd like to still serve the state. So so really, he doesn't plan on being here. He is planning on sucking up to his orangeness and being the VP nominee. <laughs> <laughs> so so one before I get your thoughts, Robert, one good thing that you point out there obviously trump won new york overwhelmingly so mm -hmm. uh, this announcement comes the day after that shocker which, you know in case they thought that they had definitely that there was actually momentum in primary races uh, donald definitely showed that not to be the case so certainly that is definitely a part of it excellent point robert well i think we know of his orangeness as jordan <laughs> called him all right let's just double that, down on that one that he's a big enough guy to accept people back into the tent if they grovel enough so, it's quite the tent. <laughs> so, you know, if, if Scott gets down on his knees and says, I was wrong, oh, great Donald, then I don't know if, if he'll get exactly what he wants in the Trump administration, but, you know, he, 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 ju something. he just needs something. Maybe he's only uh, uh, assistant secretary of labor instead of secretary of labor. Who knows? Uh, but there, and maybe he can get to secretary of labor. Who knows? Uh, but probably not. But we'll see. So, and there's, so there's that thing. The, the, the bigger question, though, is not Scott Walker, who's a mere puppet, but will Charlie Sykes and the right-wing radio crusaders who Caw, basically Caw. said <laughs> that Trump is the end of life as we know it be 
uh, yapping about how great Trump is in the general election. Well, okay, that's part of why I brought this up, all right? Like, <laughs> we just sat through what seemed like they were trying to avoid the destruction of the Republican Party, right, as we know Fail. it. And talking about Trump, I would say accurately in some ways, for the danger that he represents to a democracy. And here they are now just, oh, well, we'll support him anyways if he's the Republican nominee. So apparently all of that wasn't really true. Um, and Robert, you, of course, point out the role of the right-wing conservative talk and its ability and its footprint, particularly on the eastern side of the state, to really play a significant role in helping the machine sort of get out its message here and why Cruz did so well, particularly on the east side of uh, eastern side of the state. But obviously, right, it, it didn't mean anything, and it... It certainly didn't ch fundamentally change the dynamics of this race. This still appears to be a Trump charging forward. And the biggest challenge is this. Uh, um, modern American conservatism stands for allowing our corporate elites to rig the economy. Okay, that's what, that's what the trade agreements are about. Okay, that's what, state, that's what WEDEC is about. So Trump has challenged that. So it's very upsetting to them that Trump carries on about how we're cutting bad deals and we're sending jobs overseas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Trump is not a, uh, replacing that with what we would want, which is actual American democratic and worker control of what's going on and, and see at the table. It's Trump control. It's more of the Putin solution. Trump will decide, right? But that is still a threat, right? A tremendous threat. And so if they're going to swallow that, uh, there's not much left. They're they don't stand for much of anything other than to be against Hillary, against Democrats, and against who Hillary will represent if she's the nominee. Those people that they're talking about, like, as we'll talk about in a little while, those people on food stamps. Mm -hmm. So that's an excellent transition. We're, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the meat of what Governor Walker was on tour for uh, this week. Uh, he's uh, going around and touting uh, as a jobs program the Wisconsin food share, quote, reform that they passed that essentially pushed off over 60,000 Wisconsin, Wisconsinites able, I, I guess you'd call One them adults, non-working, right? able-bodied, yeah. right? So there you go, right? Even they're getting their messaging in, right? But forcing over 61,000 people off of, of uh, food share. And the numbers just came out this week that over 41,000 of these folks have been unable to find work, and only 11,000 have through the program. And so Walker has the audacity to go around uh, and actually tout this as a jobs program, right? This is amazing. We've talked about this. There are, in many places of the state, no good jobs available. And uh, Jorna, I'm going to kick it to you, but what I find most shameful about this is he actually tried to suggest somehow that this was really providing people the opportunity to live their piece of the American dream. Jorna. Shameful is, is, is the word of the day here. Um, this is appalling. It was more like a shame tour, and it should be a shame tour for Scott Walker because you can't, you can't expect people to live this American dream when you aren't providing them with this supposed opportunity and you're not providing any sort of social programming to help them do that. So, so great. You said that they had to get job training, but then there were no jobs in that market to take and you're not going to help them feed their families and you've called them lazy and uneducated and all of these other things in the past and you're drug testing them and you're doing all of these horrible, awful things to really discourage any sort of trust in government. Um, yeah, Scott Walker, you should be really proud of yourself for going around the state saying this has been such a great success. <laughs> Robert? 
and you're right, Jorna. This is a, the, this is the conservatives trashing government, which actually uh, achieves their ends by further limiting what we can do with government, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also take just taking advantage of lack of public knowledge about about the programs. Uh, there's no other. Uh, advanced industrial country, it just lets people starve on the spe- in the streets. And that's what we're talking about going back to here. Well, and Robert, you know, you talk a lot about the right-wing narrative of how people need to see value in themselves. And so if they don't lift themselves up by their bootstraps, and I'm certainly not being as eloquent as you are in talking about this, but this is certainly a prime example of Walker and his cronies saying that you need to make it happen, otherwise you won't have any you know, self-worth or self-value if you can't figure out how to support your family. And we've given you this opportunity with some food share and some job training, but you, know, you wasted that. So now it's up to you and you'll make your dreams come true. Ridiculous. It relies on the conservative lie that there's no incentive to work now, that you can live this awesome life if you just don't work and you take food shares, right? I mean, this is just like not starving to death, okay? This is not like actually being free and actually fully participating as a a member of of our democracy and our, our vast consumer economy. And so... Quite frankly, so the idea that somehow we give them the spur, if we threaten them with starvation, then they'll work, right? Well, it's interesting that, uh, that a lot of them still don't. The conservative answer, therefore, is, oh, well, that's how unethical they are. They'd rather starve than work. No, there are not enough jobs. There are not enough family-supporting jobs. And there are all sorts of things that get in the way of people working, mental illness, also, family situations. What if they're uh, if they're taking care of their mother, and there's no other way to, to to take care of their mother, and she'll fall and and hurt herself, and maybe be injured or die if you leave the house? You see, none of this is taken into account at all. We've just stereotyped all these people as lazy people on porches enjoying, as Ronald Reagan would say, you know, big steak dinners and shrimp and all of that stuff. Remember their their food shares reform didn't allow you to eat shellfish, right, which was a lie. The Reagan welfare queen stuff that he promoted to gain power was a complete total fabrication and lie, and you shouldn't build any monuments to such a man, but that's where we are. So, by the way, Walker says, well, maybe they found other jobs, right? Well, According to the Wisconsin State Journal, uh, quoting uh, DHS spokeswoman Claire Yunker, said the department does not track how many of those who gained employment are no longer enrolled in the food shares program. In other words, a lot of these people working are probably still in food shares because they're making so little they need food assistance. And nor does the administration track how many people are eligible for the program found work on their own. Well, why do we track none of these things? Because we don't care about facts. This is about scoring political points at the cost of people's lives and people starving, literally, in order to gain. And that, that is what is fundamentally unethical about the modern conservative movement, the politicians, and the right-wing talk show hosts that lead it. So you mentioned the right-wing talk show hosts, right? They've been squawking about this sort of narrative. Um, Look, we don't have to even look back to Ronald Reagan, right? We've got uh, Representative Jesse Kremer here. And again, I'll remind folks, Jesse is the fine individual who cares deeply about um, bathroom situations in our high schools. Um, But he has declared this week that we have a jobs crisis. And by the way, the jobs crisis in his mind is not the fact that we have almost 100,000 less jobs 
uh, in the state than uh, the nas- national average uh, under the Walker administration, but that it's actually that we have a lack of skilled workers, people really willing to do the work. In fact, he believes that uh, the will of these folks has been stifled uh, by, by these programs, right? And then actually goes on and says that our college graduates are entitled, right? Like this guy's just trashing workers in the state as if somehow they're the reason for this crappy economy that all good numbers show has been trailing the national average, trailing the Midwest unnecessarily. Uh, it's just it's unbelievable, right? Uh, the, you know, but of course, this guy's in a you know, totally gerrymandered seat out in Waukesha, so we'll be seeing him forever. C- question, do you think that he sees the... Um the juxtaposition with his governor running around the state saying how the jobs program has worked versus all of how the jobs program basically has not worked is what he's saying in many ways because of the lazy workers and uneducated and entitled. I mean, I, I get the narrative and, and unfortunately I feel like too many people won't look deep enough into that and can draw that correlation together. But um, wow, these people represent us. That's astounding. So one of the well, Robert, sorry. I just was going to say about Mr. Kremer. He literally is saying that manufacturing jobs have left the state. He provides numbers because of the lack of skilled workers. So everyone who knows someone who's been laid off because a company outsourced or a company left, right? Uh, think about whether the people you know, your friends, relatives, neighbors, whether they were unskilled, and that's why the company left. Whether the company left because it could make more profit by getting slave labor wages overseas, or, uh, or, or right? I mean, that's what this is about. So he says college students feel entitled to a white-collar, cushy job with 50,000-plus salaries, and that that's not the real world. Uh, but our manufacturers, who Walker is a mouthpiece for, and so is Mr. Kremer, complain over and over again they don't have enough skilled workers like welders. Research by UWM shows there is not a shortage of welders. What there is is a shortage of welders that'll work for 10, 11 bucks an hour. And so they're the ones who feel entitled, right? No, you have to pay enough to attract all the welders who are already trained in here and not taking your crappy jobs. No, absolutely. And we, we've certainly talked about this in the past, and it comes full circle when we see an effort in the food share program to push more people into this low-wage workforce, right? Make me, more people a little more desperate. Let me say one more thing about that. The person who should be held accountable for lack of jobs is Scott Walker, particularly since he promised all of these Absolutely. jobs, number one. And number two, we shouldn't just be satisfied with people being on food shares and not, not being able to find jobs. We need a bold economic agenda. Now, if we create a full employment economy uh, with good living wages and then there are people not working, then we need to explore actually who these people are. And it's not going to be all one thing. There's going to be a variety of things. Uh, doing something about our mental health system, which Walker has paid lip service to and really done nothing for, uh, is, a, is a major part of this. Uh, but quite frankly, rather than simply going back to some 19th century vilification, which says, I believe it was Herman Cain who said, if you're poor, it's your fault. Something in those lines. I want to misquote Herman, so if <laughs> someone wants to correct me, but it was something along those lines. Well, look, the 
The Wisconsin public is certainly on to what's going on in our economy and certainly I don't believe is buying the story that somehow we have a bunch of shiftless, lazy workers in the state. A new uh, survey that came out this week uh, conducted by St. Norbert's College uh, found that well over 60% of the public is, has a really negative view of the economy and views it either as not so good or, or poor. And these are not good numbers when you're over 60%. But look, at I, I mean... It just shows that, you know, the workers are certainly aware of what's going on. I was just going to hashtag, thanks, Obama. No, that's exactly where I was going, Robert. I mean, it's all got to come back to you, right? Why are we doing worse than Jordan? I don't understand. God, I know. I know. Yeah. So anyway, so I, you know, that 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 data has has come out this week. One other thing, though, that we definitely want to mention is, you know, Robert, we've talked about this, Jorna. I know you've talked about it on the podcast. One of the keys that we have to do is really address these low-wage jobs, right? We've got to get serious about raising the floor. It's a, it's a critical part because we're not going to suddenly wave a wand and, and make all these service jobs into something that they're not currently, right? We have to actually get serious about raising those jobs, making those jobs more sustainable. And so, I want the data on how on what the, these folks are making, the, one, the small number that were... Uh, placed right, and then all, and on top of that, um, how many of those folks are still on food shares anyway? So, and by the way, it's just replacement. I mean, they're counting a lot of people who would have found jobs anyway. A certain people find jobs anyway. They've proven no increase in net employment whatsoever because there are limited, finite number of jobs. So this is just, in other words, even the abysmal numbers are not necessarily an accomplishment. Sure, exactly. And so again, why we think it's important to do things like increase the minimum wage. And so this week uh, in Eau Claire, um, there was a ordinance that was introduced that would increase the living wage for uh, county contractors. And uh, a number, uh, we've talked about our new organizing cooperative that is up in western Wisconsin that's led by Jeff Smith. And a number of those folks were involved in both the planning of that, but also this week in unveiling that. And this is exactly the kind of solutions we need to be pushing uh, not only just locally, but uh, at all different levels of government. So really a, a shout out to the folks in Eau Claire for really trying to address how do we start to raise uh, uh, the, the, the level of these entry, entry level jobs yeah. and jobs that quite frankly just aren't, aren't paying enough. Um, and just to s- very briefly explain to the listeners, a living wage ordinance applies to uh, workers who work for contractors for a unit of government. We've privatized a lot of services. So there are a lot of employees who are not government employees, but are government paid for employees. And so it not only helps all of those employees and prevents, quite frankly, public employees being undercut by low, low road uh, companies that are paying starvation wages. But in addition, it's an opportunity to talk about the need for living wage jobs in general and to do other reforms that affect all workers. And so it's an opportunity to talk about how we need to wa- raise the wage floor because we all do better when everyone can afford to expend money in their community and to afford the basics. And this doesn't solve the whole problem, but it's a huge way at the local level to help some workers stop having the government can be complicit Right, our government in 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 a low wage economy, uh, but then make the case for even broader reforms. Yeah, it's and it's important to understand at the county level, a lot of these jobs are health and human service jobs, people who take care of um, people in our homes and things like that. So these are critically important jobs that are only going to grow. And as Robert mentioned, they're 
they're basically being paid with our taxpayer money. So we don't want to be subsidizing poverty wages. So shout out to Jeff Smith. If folks are interested in getting involved in that effort, which is uh, going to play out over the next uh, uh, month or so, uh, please contact Jeff Smith at uh, jeff.smith at citizenactionwi.org. If you want to get involved in the ordinance effort, or if you want to uh, find out more about the organizing cooperative in Western Wisconsin. And I assume his email address is on our website too, and phone number, et cetera. It's yes. all on our website. But again, I know it's very complicated. Jeff.smith at citizenactionwi.org. So please reach out to Jeff. Um, he definitely wants to hear, hear from you. Um, so we're going to actually move on. Robert, this next topic um, we've talked about, I believe, on uh, one or two previous podcasts, and that's around this giant healthcare merger uh, of Humana and Aetna, which are two very large companies. And in particular, in Wisconsin, Humana employs thousands of, of workers here, uh, particularly up in uh, northeastern Wisconsin in the Green Bay area. And this merger, the state had an opportunity to set some conditions, particularly around job standards and, 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 and things that will make sure that if this merger costs jobs from outsourcing, that, uh, that there would be some, some way to deal with that, right? And they've pretty much taken a pass. Please talk more about this. Um, it's stunning. <clears throat> so... By the way, we're, we're in the midst of a consolidation craze in health insurance, which we've now put health insurers at the center of people's right to health care, right? Uh, where four of the top five company, national for-profit companies are merging. So Anthem and Cigna are merging, Humana and uh, Aetna are merging. Aetna is buying Humana, technically, so it's an acquisition. And so you're creating these mega companies, and the states play a huge role. The federal government is looking at it an antitrust standpoint. The, the state attorney general can as well, if he cares to. But the insurance commissioner's offices, including Wisconsin, have to approve it based on the interest of health consumers. And, even, and you could even include the interests of the state, like workers. And so we made a major push that if, you, if they don't block the merger, at least to have conditions, because the insurance commissioner's office has the power to set conditions for the merger. And so since the academic research shows that these mergers increase health insurance premiums, uh, they always have, then there should be a protection that there could be no increase in health insurance costs because of the merger and strict rate review of the rates of the new company, the new merged company. Uh, we could require that since you have a big company that could have an inordinate influence on the market, that it participate in the health insurance marketplace, the exchange, so you'd have counties without uh, enough options. Um, you could require they control prescription drug costs. And the other big thing is since we have over 3,000 uh, employees in northeast Wisconsin, for uh, Humana to require that they not outsource any jobs. And in fact, uh, they have claimed, their lawyers claimed in the, in the public hearing, where the only public there really other than lobbyists were Kevin Kane and Jeff Smith and I from Citizen Action, uh, was um, uh, that they're saving $1.7 billion through the consolidation through law, uh, reduction overhead. So whether that means moving jobs from Green Bay or not, we don't know, because the lawyers said in the hearing, there are no current plans to outsource jobs in Green Bay. It's like, okay. And in the story the Green Bay Press-Gazette did, the business leaders in Green Bay said, oh, don't worry, we trust Humana, don't do anything, which is like amazing. This is like the right-wing corporate ideology. Trust Humana. Well, the question is, why? if they're not gonna do it, then there's no problem with stipulating they can't do it, right? So why not have the protection? 
It, so what they came up with in this a ghastly hearing, which amounted to a, a soft uh, question and answer with the lawyers from Aetna and Humana, uh, they, what they came up, came up with that is they're approving the merger, but they're going to have to report if they're outsourcing the jobs. But no, 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 no inability to do it, no recourse, no nothing. And the funniest thing in the hearing, by the way, that I should point out is, is that they one of the things in, in Wisconsin law that you have to meet is you have to, pr you have to establish that the leaders of the company have the, uh, both the competence and the integrity that is such that it's in the public interest to allow the merger. And the lawyers stipulated to the in great integrity of the leaders of Aetna. And uh, there was no further analysis. And the state of Wisconsin stipulated, and the hearing examiner, that they agreed in the high integrity is so high that uh, that's in the interest of, of the state of Wisconsin and, and its healthcare consumers to have the merger. Now, may I remind you that Aetna, along with Humana, along with the other big for-profit health insurance companies, used to profit by denying coverage to people with pre-existing conditions and throwing people off coverage after they got sick, after they diagnosed with breast cancer, if they could find a loophole. And they only stopped doing it when it was outlawed. And many of them are currently involved in figuring out how not to provide marketplace plans. Why? Because that's where the people with pre-existing conditions are. So that's the high integrity that we're talking about. But rubber stamp, and there's nothing more we can do. Uh, Robert. Are you insinuating that there might be lawyers that aren't of the utmost integrity in their statements? That there might be lawyers that would would do what their employers tell them to do and and falsify statements? I enjoyed that there was a uh, there was a judgment against uh, uh, either Aetna or Humana in their Medicare Part D plans for literally overcharging consumers, like a couple million dollar judgment. When they asked them about that, that was the one tough question. They said, uh, that is something that happened in the past and uh, improvements in, the, in, regular, in, in oversight and operations have been made. I was like, okay, thank you. So two, <laughs> two quick things because I want to get to our favorite, my favorite part of the show, but um, one, the lawyers, these these very um, solid citizen lawyers here, touting the one point seven. Like I do like lawyers. I have a lot of, <laughs> but I kind of feel like healthcare insurance lawyers. I understand. <laughs> top top of the I barrel. Sketchy, maybe? It's all high quality up there. So so the the touted one point seven billion in savings due to the merger. Those that's totally coming back to the consumer, right? The research and shows care? it never does, and actually Robert. one of the provisions. The consumer groups that were Robert. 18, Citizen Action led getting uh, 18 groups signed on, actually asked that all the savings go to consumers. That was not adopted, of course, mm. or even right. considered. Are you, are you just stoking Robert up here so my, that my other the question. show will never end? <laughs> my, my other question <laughs> is about the um, $40 million golden parachute for the CEO of Humana, Bruce Broussard. He deserved it, Jorna. I, I, Fabulous I individual. Rates. You didn't rates. hear? <laughs> could it you didn't hear about this guy? He is awesome. Couldn't health insurance <laughs> rates be, let's uh, let's say he's worth a million, be $39 million lower, you know? <laughs> we just talked about trying to, you know, we just talked about 41,000 people that are, you know, kicked off of food share, but don't worry. Some dude who ran an insurance company is getting a $40 million payout. What is wrong with society? And okay. I didn't think about it. I didn't ask uh, the, the national consumer lawyers we were talking to whether we could have put in a stipulation that Mr. Broussard will not get his $40 million. That would have been a good one. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to continue to track Humana. Obviously, the merged organization is now here. And um, 
they do apparently have to report their outsourcing, so we'll we'll try to track that well, and, and hopefully I, we uh, did that do doesn't a release, lead to Matt, that WEDEC promised to co- to track all outsourcing by all of its recipients in a board policy passed in September 2014, and is we had an open records request, they have not provided this. So my question is, will we see this report of outsourcing that we, will, as that I said, will be provided? I expect that we will stay on top of this issue and continue to keep podcast listeners abreast of. Humana Aetna, because it is now here. So with that, Jorna, we have got to talk about Paul Ryan Watch. Ryan Watch. Ryan Watch. So yeah, There's so, been breaking news since we started this podcast. Okay, well, geez, you know, this is a big week for Paul Ryan because he went on a full, massive tour to announce that he's not running for, for president again. Um, no, which, seriously, he's not. He's seriously not. Yet. and And... You know, nine. We we need to play this little brief clip here from Stephen Copair because uh, this is uh, pretty much sums up the Paul Ryan uh, presidential effort. How about now? Still no. So that's a maybe. No, it it's a no. Like a no no, or one of those no. I don't want to be Speaker of the House, but I'll accept it if you just give it to me. Nos. It's a no no. And two no nos make a yes. No, they make a firmer no, period. Okay, period. But if I add two more periods, it becomes an ellipsis. So, possibly? So, no. Let me say it in clear English. No. Okay, how about clear German? (laughs) Uh, Nine. Clear Russian? Yet. Wow, you seem to know a lot of foreign languages. That kind of international experience will really come in handy if you decide to accept the Republican nomination, sir. So, Jorna, that's obviously uh, uh, pretty much sums up what we got coming out of Paul Ryan and and the Republicans on the uh, presidential side. It's pretty much insane. Yes, it is. No, dot, dot, dot. So what's the the breaking news? I don't even know what what happened this morning. For for just a moment, though, let's talk about how Paul Ryan is actually a... God, it hurts me to say it, but relatable human creature (laughs) from the Republican Party. He does a relative thing, right? He does a very good job in this interview, right? It shows phenomenal little Ted Cruz, you know, Colbert, and so and and I find myself laughing along, and then I find myself not believing a word he says, of course, because he doth protest too much that he's not running. However, this morning, Thursday morning, on an interview on CNN's New Day, mm-hmm. uh, he was discussing his tenure as House Speaker and his talking tenure. about. He's been, I've been there, I know, right? It's been like, like a minute. He's minute long. Here. <laughs> what the hell? Here, and how he's vowing there's not going to be a government shutdown, and how he's so much better than John Boehner, and blah blah blah. You know, and that, boy, that's a high hurdle. Right. But here is the quote that I love in this that relates, I believe, to this denial of I am going to run for president. Uh, Not to knock John, but I spend more time with all of our members on a continual basis. And so because I was a person that wasn't looking for this job, what I'm trying to do is be responsible with the power that comes with this job and decentralize that power to make members more empowered. Okay, that last sentence is just that's a lot of power. 
However, he's saying, because I wasn't looking for this job. Right. He's leaving the door wide open to say, pick me, pick me for president, pick me. Guy who runs for vice president has no interest in power or anything. He's really just a Jedi, it sounds like, according to his... uh, his uh, oh, perception wow. of himself. <laughs> Speaking of Jedi's, Robert has something he wants to say. I don't know. It's a long tradition before Paul Ryan. Even the founding fathers uh, felt uh, very, uh, very impelled to say, "Oh, I don't want this office. How terrible this is!" And I'm going to have to leave my family and my plantation and <laughs> my, right, my Janesville plantation. <laughs> but oh, oh, I, if it's duty calls and you call upon me, I cannot turn my back on my country. And so, so, so this is like what they call in communication studies a genre. Like a, it, so literally, he can't say, I want it, make me president, uh, if he's not actually running. So it, do, it tells us nothing, right? And since he didn't want to be speaker, now he's speaker, that's all you need to know. Uh, but the whole question is whether or not the establishment is going to satisfy itself with Mr. Trump, who at least will be an exciting candidate in a general election, if not damaging to their principles, or Cruz, who I heard a Republican pundit say quite correctly, will be a sure loss and not very exciting in so doing. So that's the question. Unless, of course, because it's dangerous to have either man on the ballot, there's a terrorist attack in October, a financial collapse. Because we really don't want to think about a President Cruz, I don't think. In fact, I'm pretty sure, maybe this can be it's a gut kind of system one brain response, that I'm a little bit more worried about Cruz having the nuclear briefcase than I am Trump. But I could go back and forth on that and, and be counseled. We, we will uh, take that up on another day, but it is time for furloughs. Sure enough. Um, actually, this weekend I'm pretty excited. I am going with uh, a bunch of friends um, who hashtag Lady Mafia uh, to a Brewers game. So the ladies and I. What night are you going? Uh, we're going on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I was. I might be going Friday if my son's uh, baseball game is canceled. My first Brewer game of the season. I'm pretty excited. So watch out for the Lady Mafia. Yeah, I was supposed to go to a Brewers game about 10 days ago, but I happened to have cracked my ribs, so that uh, got Falling in the way of that. Falling down in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, it's incredibly humiliating, I must say. Uh, and that's what I'll be doing this weekend, falling, falling in showers. Old man Matt. Well, look, there are upsides. I've already gotten my first ARP magazine. It pretty much showed up uh, within 24 so hours. They're brought, really efficient I, over I there at brought, ARP. Sh- hands down. Fantastic I brought, nonprofit. I should have brought my Anna Louise's Phillips Lifeline for yep. you. You could have a pendant that you could push, I'm, whatever. <laughs> I, I had a friend drop off Pitch's ribs uh, while I was laid up. Nice. That was excellent. So uh, that was uh, very much appreciated. Um, what I do need now is the little sticky flowers that I put on the bottom of the uh, shower and some oh. some rails. Oh, you should have those. I have I have fish and ducks on the bottom of mine. Okay, well there you go. I oh, I should have guessed. Thank you, Robert. So you don't even need a furlough after that. That's that's. Uh, <laughs> I've that's had them. That's probably why I didn't crack about my as ri- much as we need. It's why I didn't crack my ribs. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, uh, Robert, what will you be doing when you're not standing on your duckies? Well. Caw, caw. Yeah. <laughs> I like ducks. That's a weakness. Quack, um, quack. So even a lot more than geese, generally. Snow geese are cool. Okay, Robert, can- what are you doing this weekend? Canada geese, not so much. Anyway, um, so <laughs> I'm heading to our nation's capital. Yep. Uh, the center of power in, in the late imperial period. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, like a science fiction novel. Or a and, swamp. 
and science fiction into the Reagan National Airport to celebrate all of the great doings of, of the great communicator uh, so that uh, we are merging at the national level three of the great organizing networks, grassroots organizing networks in the United States of America to create one powerful organization and one powerful uh, alliance between the major state-based organizing organizations across the country so we can build national power. So there is the law, the actual public announcement Monday night. There's a four-day board meeting. I'm on the new board of directors. It'll be called People's Action. And we'll be letting you know about it because it'll all be public and public as far as you know having a big launch event as of Monday night. Well, that's actually very exciting. And I, I must admit, I'm you know, someone who's been around the movement a long time and has been at Citizen Action now for eh, like eight years, nine years. Very excited about this. I think it, it, it is much needed, and um, it's going to provide, I think, a lot of support for this organization and a lot of the efforts that our members are really been active in, and particularly in the organizing cooperatives. And so very excited about this. I myself... These are the only national calls Matt has enjoyed being on. Because <laughs> for years, Matt's refused to be on calls uh, with national partners, dragged I, his feet. Well, now Matt's like, ooh, I'm talking to people's actions, political department. We're talking to people who actually have real serious ideas about what they want to do, not just this election cycle, but how it truly relates to where they want to go in 10 years. And and so it's it's been very exciting. And we're looking forward to being able to bring bring a lot of ideas from this network uh, to Wisconsin. So we'll, we'll talk more about that down the road. Um, I'm, I'm going to be heading out there next week also. Very excited to go out there and meet with some people to strategize on climate change and uh, how that connects to and, our economy. And, uh, so Luz Sosa and our staff Luz is Sosa also coming. will be joining us. So, uh, But this weekend, I, I'm actually going to be back at the dirt tracks. I'm going down to Macomb. Uh, with my son, Macomb, uh -oh. Illinois. We might have to ask for Western Illinois University leatherneck. Yeah, no, the yep, the leathernecks. I drive right through uh, through through Western Illinois University's campus. Um, they defeated the Badgers. This but year I, I gotta say, they did. I gotta <laughs> say, Robert, you're gonna let me finish here. Come on, it's gonna be. Uh, anyways, I didn't know we got to talk no, about the leathernecks. So uh, go ahead. I know you love the leathernecks. So. One of the things I like about Macomb is it when you drive into the racetrack, it is the lead sponsor is a labor union, and it's a uh, I believe it's the electrical workers down there sponsor the track. So it's really nice to be at a labor friendly racetrack. So with that, we are going to wrap up this uh, podcast. It's great to be back, and I want to thank everyone who uh, passed on a lot of thoughts when I <laughs> when I fell and couldn't get up. So we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Thank you, Brian Wilbur, for producing it. Caw, caw. Uh, every week, and uh, we'll see you next week.